making our way into episode 67 for the plugs. Just going to quickly mention the Winning Agenda Patreon. Thanks to our Patreon supporters, we've been able to do some really fantastic things with our content. This includes the live game series, which is now up on our YouTube channel. You should totally go and check it out, the Winning Agenda YouTube channel. Hit subscribe, it'll be great. We're pleased to announce we have a new goal, because we've made our three initial goals. The next goal is hour-long episodes for the card highlights. So unlike this particular episode where you'll see the runner one week and the corpse side the next week, everything will be in one hot little place at one time. There is also a new tier reward. If you take up one of the $20 per month slots, you can choose the panelist of your choice to give you online coaching either on Octagon or Jinteki while Skyping. There aren't many of these tier spots left, so if that interests you, get on it and throw a few shekels our way. Thanks so much to everybody who tunes in every week. Please enjoy episode 67 of The Winning Agenda. Good evening, and welcome to episode 67 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight our panellists include 2015 regional champion and 2015 Australian Nationals top 8 competitor Wilfie Horrock. Hello. 2014 Australian National champion and 2014 World's top 16 competitor Jesse Marshall. Hello. 2015 regionals top 8 competitor Hollis Echo. Mirror mode on. And I'm here with the... Admin of Project Anchor, Jacob Morris. How are you, dude? Hey, how's it going? Doing well. And just for those uh, those of our listeners who may not be aware or who may have forgotten you since you were last <laughs> on, just give us a quick recap on uh, what your deal is and what you do for the community. Yeah, so I run Anchor. It's a Android Netrunner, comprehensive unofficial rules. But it's basically just a wiki that's a compendium of all the rulings and fact information related to any card at any given time. Starting next week, we'll also be putting up an unofficial fact with the release of each data pack as well, so that we can kind of stem the tide of all the kind of facts that come up in the middle of the cycles. (laughs) And I'm your host, Brian Holland, and we're going to be talking about Kalagoda, the first pack in the Mumbad cycle. So let's get straight into it with the first Anak card, which is Run Amok. Uh, It's an event, run, sabotage, cost three, influence three, make a run. When the run ends, trash one piece of ice that was resed during this run. So this is obviously another uh, Anarch ice destruction hate card, but doesn't make the cut. Wilfie, what do you think? Uh, I think that this card is a bit like a blackmail that you can play if you don't fulfill the requirements of blackmail, which are fairly exacting, but not that hard to fulfill if you want to. Um which is that, in the sense that this card can is good when you want to A, access a remote, or B, get into a central, like in mo- much the same way that blackmail is, just because the cost of it means you don't really want to be firing it off randomly. Um, but the drawback compared to blackmail is that it... You don't actually avoid the ice, you still have to encounter Yes, if there's it, yeah. an ice that your opponent can res to keep you out, then they can, if it's important enough, that you be kept out for this one run, which may, makes it a lot worse, but that does, is kind of counterbalanced by the fact that oh, if God. they resonate that they can't uh, keep you up, that they do keep you out with, then the ice gets trashed. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you still have to hit whatever ice they have means that if you have some rig, you're not going to necessarily want to play it and then run into a destroyer. You want to have your whole rig out before you play this card to, if you want to be 100% safe. Yeah, or... or potentially none but then you can still get blown out by architects or net damage or yeah i mean that i don't think that it's better than the existing options and it seems to sort of fulfill a similar spot to ddos but i think ddos has the same cost and is probably better this one's pretty straightforward doesn't have to be successful doesn't have to be unsuccessful um 
but it does occur when the run is already over. That's the only interesting thing. So it has the same kind of timing as like uh, Dirty Laundry or something like that. Okay, so the next card is Rumajan Reliant 550 BMI. It's uh, consumer-grade hardware, install one, influence one. You can trash it to prevent up to X net all brain damage. Trash cards from the top of your stack equal to the amount of damage prevented. X is the number of copies of Rumujan Reliant 550 BMI installed, including the one just trashed. Limit six per deck. This card is very interesting, and it sort of... I think you get the most value out of it if you have lots of them installed at first, but I don't know, it's very bizarre. Jesse, what do you think? It's strange that it only prevents net or brain damage, uh, which means that you're going to have a hard time fitting six of these into a runner deck when possibly the most common way of dying is from meat damage. If you really want to tech against net and brain damage and like ignoring that consideration, it's okay. Like just in and of itself for what it does, having a whole lot of them on the table means you're not going to die from that damage. But it also has this downside of having to trash cards from the top of your stack, which after you've already taken the hit of having six of these in your deck, you've already paid the six credits to get yeah. them into play. Um, and then you've only really prevented some damage. You're losing a significant number of cards from your stack. The fact that you, each one of them can prevent a cascading number going down. So like yeah. at best case, the first one prevents six, the next one prevents five, etc. means that you're really immune to those slices of damage for the rest of the game. Well, but- I mean, it, mean, it means you're not going to die to it but if you're playing most like most Jinteki net damage decks uh, well i mean you're still draining your you're still draining your actual deck so it's not you're actually not preventing the damage you're just making sure you don't lose the game from taking the damage true so yeah. against pe that's exactly right where your your deck is your resource yeah. um m- possibly more important than credits a lot of the time because uh, once you run out of it you have a very hard time actually winning the game uh you're just redirecting the damage to your deck which is not really better in the long run because you're still losing the same number of cards overall yeah. from the game. Yeah. Just to reiterate Jesse, Jesse's point, to me the card isn't great already, but like, but when you add in the fact that I'm trashing cards off my deck anyway to prevent damage, it just becomes significantly like worse. I mean, to me this is this would be something that would be borderline unplayable. I mean, if if it, it if it prevented the damage and then that was that, that was it. And then I, I lost the deck slots and simply just removed that card. So it has that, as Jesse explained, the cascading effect of being less useful over time. That's one thing. But redirecting it back to the deck just doesn't even make sense. Not when we have powerful tools already that can prevent net damage altogether. Through, like through the other resources that are even less valuable than actual cards in our deck, right? I mean, there are, even if this card prevented net, brain, or meat damage, there's still a lot of matchups where it's still a card that does absolutely nothing, and dedicating six slots of your deck to a card that does nothing is not really a great way to go about winning Netrunner. Wolfie? Uh, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It seems like a very strange uh, introduction to the consumer-grade mechanic. I mean, it does kind of work in that the more you have, it works better, but not in the sense that net and brain damage is kind of is so specific that you if you're going to play a card that's good against those types of damage if you actually think that matters then you're going to play a card that's as narrow but as uh efficient as possible like feedback filter or plasticrate or whatever against damage in general and so this is entirely the opposite basically so my question with this card is will this ability still work if you don't have any cards left in your stack so you're trying to trash cards the top of your stack so like say there's one yeah. brand so, damage so coming is the in first ability dependent on the is the is the first ability de- dependent on the second stipulation so my opponent 
goes to say, um, get me with a neural katana, mm-hmm. and I've got no cards left in my deck, but I've got three Ramujan Reliant 550 BMIs in play. I trash one to prevent three three net damage, mm-hmm. and then I go to trash the cards on the top of my stack, and I can't. Does that mean that I can't actually use the card? No, not at all, because you're still preventing damage, so it still has an effect. Uh, okay. It's not worded like a cost. If it was a cost, it would be before the colon, or it would say, like, trash the top cards in order to do blah, 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 or something like that. Right. Yeah, so it's, there are two separate effects that happen. The next card is Street Magic. It's Resource Virtual, Install Zero, Influence One. Unbroken subroutines resolve in the order of your choice. I look forward to gaining five credits off a choo-choo train before <laughs> ending the run. Yeah, that seems to be the only sort of thing that people say, oh, I really can't wait to play Street Magic on my first click. Run that little engine on your second, third, and fourth click and gain 15 credits. Yeah. Guess how amazing that is, but like That'd I just so don't see in how many games do you have you actually face check things where the order of the subroutines matters. Sometimes with Grail, and more now that Grail is actually good. Uh, sometimes with Caduceus Architect, but like in the average game, that's going to happen two zero to two times, and like it's not even a benefit. Death. It's not even a strong benefit in all of those times it feels a bit like a crutch or like a a, a fail safe for being face planted by something like an archer or a rotor turret or something like that which is a, a crutch that you don't really need if you're a better player and you're you, you sort of know how to deal with those kind of situations because obviously if you run into one of those two cards as mentioned you just put the end of the run subroutine first and you bounce off but, yeah i mean it's yeah. not not even necessarily being a better player but just that there are other tools in the game and i mean that's probably the same thing that you're getting at that you as a player can use to deal with those cards like if you know that there's a very specific number of centuries in the game which there are and that you have a century breaker that can break all of them except maybe a couple you know what those couple are and you know how to guard against that in your game you don't need street magic to just protect you against whatever unknown ice there might be that has an end the run subroutine and something else because there's a limited number and you can know exactly what they are and whether your opponent can res them at any time so yeah i'm not i'm not playing it i mean if, if we're going to be straightforward i'm not going to play this i don't have any i don't i don't have a lot of in um Eloquent things to say, other than these fine gentlemen have already like uh, given. I mean, this, the card's just not worth playing. We have tools, in fact, we have tools already in the card pool that basically allow us to mitigate the problems that we would encounter, like program trashing, like dealing with little engine. I mean, Wolf, Wolf, Wolfie's right. The likelihood of hitting a little engine, and then after your opponent sees that you metagame that card and not override it immediately is like slim to none. And the fact that, it, it, even in the example that uh, Wolfie gave, when you play this on your first click and then run, like it's very unlikely they'll even res a little engine if they know you've got this in play as well. So. Well, they yeah, they would have to have res a little engine on a previous turn at the outside of a server, and you have this in your hand in order for that ever to happen, which means that you also have to be playing someone who has a little engine in their deck which I haven't seen for a while. So, And that, I think, is the only ice in the game, if I'm not wrong. I'm sure our listeners will point out if I am. Okay, the first criminal card is High Stakes Job. It's Event, Run, Job, Cost 6, Influence 3. Make a run on a server with at least one piece of unresed ice. When the run ends, gain 12 credits if it was successful. What I really like about Dirty Laundry, Matt, is the fact that like it gives you a bigger boost in credits as opposed to just Dirty Laundry, which only cleans like the first load of clothes. So... Um, it's really just like an overall better option for... I'm being stupid. Um, but you have to this do it more, right? <laughs> um, because you're running, you have to run the whole like place. You have to put in yeah, I mean, like, that's, it's so much more change. Like, at first it was like only $2.35, and now it's like a whole 10 bucks. Um, 
What I like about high stakes job is just that it's a big burst, and I'm a fan of really big bursty cards like that. Um, the return on investment seems like it's, I mean, it is less than uh, Dirty Laundry, if I'm not mistaken, right? Dirty Laundry is uh, two for five, and this card is a six for 12. Six for 12. So you're getting three extra. But the question is, is one piece of ice on average going to cost you at least three to get through? Right. And I mean, I think I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, uh, one single piece of ice is probably, in, in most competitive decks, it's two to three, it's two to three credits, right? At least one yeah, to bump. Yeah, I agree. And then two yeah. to break two subs. So that being said... There's, there's also the stipulation on high stakes job that the ice must be unrezzed as well. Yeah. So going, assuming going towards the late game, this card's going to do nothing, unlike Dirty Laundry. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that in the cases where I could possibly play this card, I'll probably... And I'm certain someone would disagree and find a better use for it, but I would probably just have bank job slotted, I think. I was going to say, it feels a bit similar to Successful Demonstration in that it's a really limited economy card that gives you a slightly higher boost, but I don't see anyone ever playing this. I, th- I think Successful Demonstration is probably a better card than this, and yeah, you don't see many people playing that either. Yeah, I think the only thing that someone said is that if it wasn't three influence, it might actually be good in Adam because uh, Adam's ability naturally works well against, like, to manage the drawback of this, and you want run events to give you economy in it anyway but then they made it three influence. But I think that might actually be its only chance of playability still. I guess the only other time that this might be useful, which is similar to what you just mentioned there about Adam Wilfie, is breakers that don't use credits to break. So things like Faust, where this can turn into a reasonably large credit windfall. But in most decks that you have something like Faust at the moment, you don't don't really need that many credits because you're not spending them on many other things. So at the moment... I don't really see many uses, but if there are breakers in the future in criminal that allow you to break for things other than credits, this might see some play then. Nothing too crazy. At least. Um, no. Same thing as uh, run amok above. It has the same timing as yeah. So you could potentially be stacking it with things like doppelganger if you're worried about you know being Nasir or some other weird edge case. The next criminal card is Mongoose. It's a program icebreaker killer. Install three memory one strength one influence two. You cannot use Mongoose to break subroutines on more than one ice per turn. One credit, break up to two sentry subroutines, two credits plus two strength. I got one for you. Yeah, here we go. Mongoose. (laughs) You cannot use Mongoose to break subroutines on more than one ice per turn. So my opponent has two copies of Rototarp protecting a server. Can I get through both of them with my Mongoose because it is one ice, not one piece of ice? Nope, it refers specifically to an ice that you encounter. So it would be one of the rototurts, because rototurts are considered different instances of... Okay. Yeah. Just because in past when we've seen effects like this, it said one piece of ice. Yeah. And just the fact that it's submitted piece makes us think like, oh, well, because we know that, uh, you know, sometimes the rulings have been very sp- finicky with words so yeah we thought maybe this was the window here the the, sure, the more finicky is... version of this would be like one copy ice per run that would be weird or something like yeah. that but no this yeah i piece of ice and ice alone are used pretty interchangeably actually in card text if you look at different yep. instances the one thing to do that you can't do want to keep in mind is you can use mongoose on the same piece of ice if you encounter it twice like for the twins or mumbad city grid or something weird like that I don't like icebreakers that limit you in the late game because the whole... I mean, maybe this is my shaper side coming out, but um, the the runners in this game generally want to be amassing a rig that once it's put together makes it very difficult for the cop to keep them out. And a card like Mongoose, even though it's reasonably efficient in that it's at three cost for one strength uh, killer, uh, 
doesn't allow you, doesn't give you that inevitability, and it means that you can get locked out later in the game because it can only break one sentry and it's still taking up your MU. So I don't like that about it at all. But it is reasonably efficient. So if you're, I mean, I, on the on the flip side of that, I guess the crim mentality with something like Andromeda is that you want to try and win in the mid game, riding that wave of your initial advantage that you had from the first few turns. So in that sort of deck with that sort of tempo curve. Mongoose might be okay, but it's still not impossible to see Corp stacking two sentries, you know, on turn eight or ten, which is still very much in the mid-game. The first Shaper card is Jasminda Serene, Girl Behind the Curtain. She's an identity, natural, link zero, deck 45, influence 15, and her ability is avoid the first tag during each run. So before we get into the obvious sort of combo she has with her own console, let's just look at that ability in itself. Do we like it? Wolfie? Read the flavor text. Mirror mode on. Yes. (laughs) Um, I think, <laughs> uh, I think that the chance for this card to be playable is with cards that give you mid-run tags, since that's the basically the only way to leverage it into some like actual strong economic ability and not just some marginal benefit that your opponent, like like Ketzel, some benefit that your opponent can turn off and like it might disable some of their ice, it might not, but. Uh, unlike Ketzel, it's much more limited in what it can deal with. It can only deal with mid-run tags, of which there are some, but not that, not as many as barriers. And so I think the real way to make it good will be with, things, as I said before, things that give you mid-run tags, um, like Siphon, Vamp, uh, Account Siphon. It's Account Siphon uh, yeah, you're talking about, not Code Siphon. I don't really <laughs> see... People seem to like playing it with Code Siphon, but... I don't know if Code Siphon would be good, even if it didn't give you a tag. It might, it might be okay, but it certainly wouldn't be good enough to make. I want still to think play it's not it very good. Yeah, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be better than self-modifying code. Like it's. Well, I mean, I think it, you could definitely play Code <coughs> Siphon, but it's useful. I think that it's not really as much of a pull as Account Siphon or Vamp because they are the things that actually let you leverage. Uh, those are things that actually let you leverage advantage. But I think the kind of maybe problem i haven't worked out if it's a problem yet is that there are already enough ways to build decks with account siphon especially vamp not so much that don't see taking tags as that much of a drawback like that i don't think this is the best shell for account siphon necessarily just before we move on jesse i just got a quick aside for you as a resident shaper aficionado removing the tag stipulation from code siphon is it better worse or on par with I don't like Code Siphon because it requires you to make a successful run to get out of Breaker, which means that if they have an end the run ice of the type that you need your Breaker for, then you can't get your Breaker. So in general, that makes it not very good, I think. Testron still gets around there because you can get whatever you want. Yep. So it's a conditional tutor. Yeah. Um, Obviously, yeah, not getting a tag makes it better, but not better enough. Not not enough better, I don't think. Um, Yeah, the the thing I was going to say about this is I think you've touched on the best use for it there, Wilfie. Obviously, the, the console is coming up as well, and that's another way that you can take tags. But in terms of Vamp, it hasn't seen as much play, and I think it is a really powerful card. And Shaper, I think, is the best place for it because Shapers can go over the top with money more consistently than any other faction. Due but, to Magnum Opus? Or? Yeah, due to Magnum Opus, but tags have been a little bit annoying for Shapers. So I think if you paired Jasminda with Magnum Opus and then imported Vamps into your deck, you could have a reasonably good um, Vamp strategy. And that also gives you an line of HQ attack that shapers don't normally have and a powerful HQ attack that shapers normally have. So that could be okay 
obviously have to do some testing with it, but I can I can see a direction there that does work, particularly when her console gives you a wave using your tags, your your tag ability on R and D as well. I actually agree very much with the, the statements from Wolfie and Jesse. I think my biggest concern, I guess, it's not fair to really call it a concern, but an obvious thing to point out is when you look at like a deck or decks that are made by like Kate, decks that are made by Andromeda or um, Lila Patel, there's these sort of generalized running abilities that are always good. And this is very specific, which means that when you sit down in front of this ID, you pretty much know the game plan right now. I mean, so if you, if you, sit, in front, if you sit down in front of me with uh, Jesminder, Serene, I pretty much am expecting a Count Siphoner Vamp. And so if I'm a Glacier deck that's running Caprice Nisei or I'm running a Chrysium Grid, like the plan is, is pretty obvious there. I know that those protection, those protection cards are going to go in HQ because you know, this is what her ability does. And as we've already stated, there's not many things in the game that actively tag during a run that the runner can initiate. But you've, I think that's the the sort of the power of it for me, Hollis, is that most of the Shaper card pool tilts you towards attacking R&D, and it's very hard to create a credible HQ threat in Shaper. So if your identity, in combination with a few imported cards, allows you to do that, that's kind of cool. I agree with that. I think that it definitely gives it makes HQ now a new. Uh, it splits that focus directly from R and D. I would I would always have a fear as this idea is like you know does my uh, ability basically just get invalidated from like a any single like meta card like a Chrysium. But I imagine that if you're playing this kind of a deck, you're also expecting those kinds of tools against you. So you may actually meta that as well if you see fit. I did see just, one just interesting sorry, question sure. on um, Stimhack though. Where people are like, well, yeah. if I have this in Kanju PT, can I avoid both the tags from Account Siphon? And that's definitely a no. Just uh, so what is what is how does, what is the other card? What has it? Really uh, Kanju PT, which is at the start of your turn, uh, you may oh, lose a click. Yeah, thing. exactly, the motorcycle. And then if you do avoid the first tag, yeah, them. but only one okay, tag so is because ever... they're both the first tag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't stack. Yeah. They do not stack like All that right. because only one tag would ever be the first tag, even if they're given out simultaneously by something like Account Siphon. Oh, okay. Uh, Excellent. Um, but other fun things is whether or not a tag happens inside a run can can change depending on the card that we're looking at. Okay. So, for example, John Masanori, we've already known it's been ruled that the tag occurs if after the run has already ended, so she can't combo with John Masanori. On the flip side of yeah. that, Security Nexus doesn't end the run until you receive the tag, so you can combo with that, which is a little interesting. Moving on, the next Shaper card is Maya, Hardware Console, Install 3, Influence 3, plus 2 memory. Once per turn, immediately after you access a card from R&D, you may add that card to the bottom of R&D. If you do, take one tag, limit one console per player. First of all, with if you're playing this with Jesminda, and you don't have to take that tag, how much better is this ability? No, I think it would be reasonable. Like, it's kind of hard. I guess the thing is that's kind of hard to build shaper decks that naturally don't care about tags just because so many of your good uh, economic cards are resources and other, then you have to play cards that stop your opponent from dealing damage to you if you're tagged, etc. Um, but I, don't, I, I do think that it's a lot better... Um, if you're you can avoid the tag just because one it's especially good if you can run R&D multiple times in one turn just because that maximizes the number of cards you're able to see and taking a tag and having to remove the tag kind of blunts that a little bit by being an economic drain when the main benefit of the ability to me as well as being a sort of pseudo imp like effect is allowing you to see cards more readily on R&D kind of giving you a free-ish R&D interface. So I think that it's naturally paired with the identity in a way which makes 
which would be one of the main draws to playing the identity Jasminder if is the avoidance of the tag. So I think that it is fairly significant the difference between taking the tag and not taking the tag, given that you want to use this ability most turns, uh, that you can access R&D, so you can see the most cards and get rid of the corpse problematic cards without having to pay. And also, because, you know, otherwise if you're using it to get rid of something like an Ash, it's kind of economically on parity. So not taking a tag is quite significant, I think. Hollis, would you still play this outside of Jesminda? Uh, I would be way less inclined to play it outside of Jesminda, although I do think that ability is very powerful. Um, this is actually where now my opinion switches to very much appreciating the words that Wilfie and Jesse have already stated. When you have the ability to shift the focus now to HQ in a way that Shaper hasn't done before, and, you, and that same ID now has additional power on R&D, you're now very well splitting the focus on two centrals, which just adds to the strength of what that faction's capable of. I mean, to me, that's, that makes, you know, a combination of Maya along with, uh, along with uh, Just Minder, Just Minder um, a very powerful combination. I'm really impressed with this console because often consoles are general purpose useful. They're not very specific to an ID all the time, or to an ID all the time, and this most definitely is, and I love it. And often also consoles give you some sort of resource, like Link or cards or something else, uh, in addition to memory, but this actually gives you an aggressive option, which is really, really sweet. Also, the two memory, uh, Jesse, might make uh, might make it into your Kate deck, I think we are talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, compare this to the Toolbox, which is one of my most hated cards in Netrunner, because it's horrifically overcosted. Uh, the Swamp King won a regionals with the Toolbox <laughs> and Replicator, I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah, in, in 2010, before <laughs> the game was released. Yeah. Um, Come in on and talk about it at some point. It'll be great. Yeah, uh, <laughs> again, yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the, so compare this to the Toolbox, it costs six less and it still gives you the two memory, which I'd argue is the best benefit that you get from the Toolbox. So you're already ahead there and you get this extremely powerful ability, which is one of the best abilities I think we've seen on a console. So I'm very, very impressed with this card overall. I think Maya is powerful. Two memory is good in Shaper because of a few different cards, Magnum Opus, self-modifying code, and the stealth rig generally. It means that you can install your self-modifying code one more time than you otherwise would be able to if you had a one memory console. Um, And it means that you can have uh, three cards in addition to your three icebreakers. So you can have three, two stealth breakers and a corrosion or a lady um, and then have three cloaks in play um, or two cloaks and a clot or some other utility program which is a lot more flexibility to add to those rigs um, and I'll certainly be trying to see what I can do with a stealth rig in a Jasmine deck because it's low influence. Alright, the next card is everybody's favourite Pancha Tantra program install two, memory one, influence two once per turn when you encounter a piece of ice you may have it gain one subtype of your choice that is not sentry, code gate or barrier for the remainder of this run. Uh, there was a great article put up on Fetal AI Tumblr about all the fun and interesting things that weren't immediately obvious that you could do Pancha Tantra which included things like turning a uh, wraparound into a fractor and turning Enforcer <laughs> into a and turning how, how Enforcer into a console so it would trash itself. And unfortunately, <laughs> um, Ian Birdsall from FFG has come out and said that um, the the card will be ruled uh, that the subtype you can choose can only be ice subtype, even though the card just says one subtype, not one ice subtype. So that sort of again limits this 
to what we originally thought it was before we started thinking about it, which is just a card that can sort of uh, leverage a bit more out of your Deus Ex and Sharpshooters. So, Hollis, how do you feel about this card? Um, I think it's definitely the most powerful card in the pack. Um, if that wasn't already obvious, I mean, you get to use a, an amazing uh, breaker like a Gingerbread, which is not only super <laughs> efficient, but has a low cost to install. I mean, quite frankly, this is going to be a 1x minimal in every deck uh, over the next season. Yeah, everyone should. It should be banned. It should never have been printed. It should have been installed seven. I'm thinking this card's Faust level good. Um, <laughs> really, I just don't. Uh, no. I mean, it, okay, so it can't be Sentry Code Get a Barrier. I mean, that means it's only really relevant to make it uh, breakable with uh, things like, I don't know, Deus Ex. De- Deus Ex and Shop Shooter, yeah. Yeah. And then everything else beyond that is just really not worth it. So, I don't know. And it's only once per turn. Yeah. It's just, like, it seems a very odd sort of thing to do. Like, I mean, there are some Shaper decks that do still play Deus Ex and some that still play Sharpshooter, so you could include this if you wanted to get a, a bit more, you know, range off those cards, but it seems very odd to have to bring this card in. It seems like a concession to maybe not having the right suite of breakers in your deck and you need another excuse because there's some things that you can't break with what you've already brought to the table and I think the card pool at the moment is big enough that that's not really an excuse Jesse? Yeah, unless we see some sort of really powerful trap or mythic mythic ice that you want to be breaking with those sorts of things then this doesn't really have a use at the moment. The fact that it's only once per turn I think we just need to hose down the gingerbread thing like you can break one ice per turn with your gingerbread that does not make a good two card combo does not uh the next card is artist colony resource location install zero influence three forfeit and agenda search your stack for a card and install it paying the install cost shuffle your stack this is one of the cards that i'm guilty of you know not thinking about before making snap judgment judgments on sometimes when i just see the text forfeit and agenda i'm like the next the ability better read win the game because <laughs> it doesn't and i was like oh this card seems crap but then uh uh, Jesse and Wilfie. Oh, and I didn't know you were here, Tim. Should have told us you were coming on. Yeah. Tim, keep it down, mate. <laughs> Just to clarify, you can forfeit news teams. Yes. Yeah. Those are you those can? count as agendas GQ? in your. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Even notorieties or anything. Uh, the, yeah. The, yeah. The funny thing about those is when they become an agenda, it's sort of like oversight AI. They stop being the card that they okay, were. Right. Yeah, and they're now just like a blank agenda marker card thing yeah so they do count as an agenda you can definitely forfeit them for this the only weird thing is the same thing that we've already known before with uh something like hostage where you're shuffling your stack Mm -hmm. after you install the card so you can be looking at your deck and draw a card off of something like off-campus apartment which is really weird but yes that's really (laughs) silly so what you can do you can look at your deck see what card is on top and then you install the resource onto an off-campus apartment, draw that card that's on top, and then shuffle it. Yeah, that's... So you can actually make a decision based on... Yeah, Yeah, which is a little weird, but it doesn't say you have to look for a thing that can be installed. So theoretically, you could search for an event. Oh, okay, so you can just choose it for anything. Yes, it says just for a card, but you can't install an event, so you'll just search for it. Even though it says search for it, you stick for a card and install it. Yep, because an event is still a card. Uh, You'll just search for it. Look at it, say, it, hey, here, there it, it is, and then you just shuffle it back in. <laughs> so, uh, so, Wilfie, uh, how do you feel about Artist Colony? Um, I think that it's quite strong uh, for a number of reasons. One reason is that, uh, maybe uh, three main reasons. One reason is that it's a very easy way to get rid of News Team, 
which is a card I'm sure everyone has seen a lot of, and uh, stealing it feels like the most abysmal thing in the world, even though most of the time, you know, it's only marginal. But the, I just can't imagine, like, how good it would be to get a po- steal their new team, not only get your point back, or, like, you know, re- remove the penalty, but also get this sick ability on the side. <laughs> like an instant speed tutor. Yeah. I love uh, it when Wilfie anything. gets excited about things, and you sound genuinely excited about it. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah, and then the second second thing is that, I guess, to use it in the more normal way, where you steal an agenda early, and you kind of... It makes your opponent really have to think about being able to score things from remotes. Just like apart from with defensive upgrades, which still are kind of good against this because there's no at the moment there's no thing that you can get that kill uh, is good against defensive upgrades, which I think will be solved in the next couple of packs. Um, but for now, uh, being able to complete your rig when your opponent goes to steal an agenda from your uh, score an agenda from a remote, for example. Um, like often trading one of your agendas for one of their agendas that they're trying to score and getting to build your rig uh, while you're at it is I think a really powerful ability and one that's strong to have just you can being able to use it wherever like whenever you want basically having that option makes your opponent really have to think about scoring things out of remotes when your rig isn't set up which is the if you're going to try and steal agendas early your rig isn't going to be set up for a while so i think it has a place in decks that don't necessarily just want to sit back and set up but want to try and snipe agendas out of their opponent's hands uh hands of central servers rather Uh, and the third use is getting uh silver bullets like plascrete and clot uh at instant speed when often you know being able to get plascrete at instant speed can be worth any number of agenda points uh, if it stops you from dying, and so it's a huge ability against decks that are not necessarily relying on meat damage or fast advance, but just having the ability to have this option always available to you really constrains a lot of decisions that the corp can make, even if the cost is high. I think that's really the point of the card. Yeah, I mean, we've seen what, when you've sat down with those sorts of decks against the self-modifying code, you know that self-modifying code represents clot and a range of other programs, and that's why it's good. You know, when you're building a remote against self-modifying code, you know that they're going to be able to get something from their deck that is going to be relevant against whatever ice you've got. This allows them to access not only programs, but any card in their deck at that same speed um, in response to whatever you do as the corp, which restricts your play significantly and I think is quite a powerful ability. This card seems to take up a really unique slot in decks. Jesse, would you play it over Film Critic? I, at the moment, I'm playing two Film Critic, and I could like see myself playing one of these and one Film Critic because they're useful in different situations. But then, I mean, if you if you broke down uh, all of the situations where Film Critic is useful, um, you might find that there's a bit of overlap, um, and then you'd have to make the call about whether you you Being know dependent. Uh, yeah about, about whether the abilities that this o- only this has are better than the abilities that only Film Critic has in terms of whether you replace them all. But uh, they're both very powerful. They both do slightly different things. Um, Worth noting you can use this to forfeit an agenda and go get your film critic. Yeah, you can. Um, and you, any other resource, which is another thing we should point out that I don't think there's really a card other than, as you said earlier, Brian Street Peddler, um, that allows you to get resources at instant speed and put them into play yet. So this is breaking new ground in that regard. That's good. Okay, so the next card is Chatterjee University. So it's a resource location, Ritzy. Install one, influence zero. Click, 
place one power counter on Chatterjee University, click Install a program from your grip, lowering the install cost by one for each power counter on Chatterjee University. Remove one hosted power counter. An interesting card. Yeah, it scales It scales in a similar way to IT department. So it, it may look like you're exchanging one click for one credit discount later on, and that's not very good. But once you invest five clicks in it, you then you get five discount, then four discount, then three discount. So obviously, the more you put on it, um, the more you're getting off it as well later on. I'm sure somebody can do an equation and tell you exactly what the ratio of that is, but I can't do that in my head right now. However, the question is, uh, how many programs do you install in an average game? Um, how many do you install directly from your grip? And how many of them cost a significant number of credits? And for me, the answer is not enough to all of those questions to justify playing this card. But the power is definitely there if high-cost programs become a thing. Oh, and we're going to cut off right there for the first part of our Carla Goda card highlight. The run aside, join us next week when myself, Hollis, Wilfie, Jesse, and special guest Jacob Morris of Anchor go through the corpse side of this very interesting data pack. In the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter at Winning Agenda, and you can go like our Facebook page, The Winning Agenda. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next week.